You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video for the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. O Master who loves mankind, illuminate our hearts with the pure light of your divine knowledge and open the eyes of our mind to understand the teachings of your holy scriptures. Instill in us also the fear of your blessed commandments, that overcoming all carnal desires may enter upon a spiritual life, understanding and acting in all things according to your holy will. For you are the enlightenment of our souls and bodies, O Christ God, and to you we give glory together with your eternal Father and your own holy, gracious, and life-giving spirit, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Amen. Welcome back to all of our participants here. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> you know, there's a, it's, it, oftentimes, um, there's a slightly different practice in the Byzantine East than in the Latin tradition. In the Latin tradition, you always begin and end your prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. But it is common in the Byzantine tradition that that sign of the cross be incorporated into the prayer. Oh, yeah. I and make so, the sign of the cross during the prayer, too. And then right. I, I thought I was supposed to do it at the end. <laughs> yeah. So I usually just add the sign of the cross at the end. So I'm in a meeting brothers and sisters. Because I know, that, you know, because you got these crazy liberals that are like, don't make the sign of the cross. And I don't want you guys to think about, <laughs> that's not the point. Okay, anyways. All right, let's move on. It's Sunday hey! Gospel Reflection for the second Sunday in not ordinary time. We are in Advent. Good to be with all of you, Annie Mitchell. I'm pretty jazzed you, up. We got, some, we got some righteous biblical passages. Yeah, we do. They're top shelf, guys. This isn't like digging around in, you know, Haggai or something. Okay, I love Haggai. I mean, it's struck by lightning. But I mean, we're going, we're going, we're going for the Super Bowl today. We're pulling out the big, the big guns, Isaiah, the big famous passages. We all know them. We're gonna have some time to look at them and have some fun. Okay, here yeah, we go. It's be awesome. Give us it's our passages, Annie. Awesome. Let's right. write them down. <laughs> Get out your notebooks, get out your Bibles, and these are the readings for the second Sunday of Advent. The first reading is from Isaiah chapter 11. We're looking at verses 1 through 10. The responsorial psalm this weekend is from Psalm 72. Mm -hmm. The gospel is Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And our epistle is St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 15, verses 4 through 9. Hallelujah. Let's start. Isaiah Hallelujah. chapter 11, verse 1. Open your Bibles. Annie, you got your Bible actually open? You're not just reading from a print-off that you did? Well, I'm reading from my lectionary book, but... Yeah, it's not a Bible. Your lectionary book is not a Bible. Well, yes? that's true, but I have my Bible right here. Well, right let's here. open up Isaiah right chapter here. 11, verse 1. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. On that day, a shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a bud shall blossom. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and of understanding, a spirit of counsel and of strength, 
a spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be the fear of the Lord. Not by appearance shall he judge, nor by hearsay shall he decide. But he shall judge the poor with justice and decide aright for the lands afflicted. He shall strike the ruthless with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Justice shall be the band around his waist, and faithfulness a belt upon his hips. Then the wolf shall be a guest of the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion shall browse together with a little child to guide them. The cow and the bear shall be neighbors. Together their young shall rest. The lion shall eat hay like the ox. The baby shall play by the cobra's den, and the child lay his hand upon the adder's lair. They shall not harm or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be filled with knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse set up as a signal for the nations, the Gentiles shall seek out for his dwelling shall be glorious. Mm. A glorious reading. Um, there are so many questions when you start. I mean, like you said, it's yeah. such a familiar passage. It's easy to just like, you know, let it wash over you. But um, I guess to kind of start off just with the basics here, Father, who is Jesse? Why is he a stump? And what is his root? Good. Well, that's not your first question you have to ask, Annie. What's that? That's bad biblical exegesis. Because you know why? This is a, a good example. And I'm not going to go back. We just did Isaiah last week. And that's why you're asking this question. You're not, you're yeah. skipping our normal question, which is who's Isaiah, right? right? But why is that important? Because you can, I can go off on all sorts of like interesting interpretations of this text out of the context of the person writing it. So the first question is not who Jesse is. The first question is who is Jesse? To Isaiah. To Isaiah. Right? That's a good point. Yeah. Okay. Otherwise, I dislocate my Bible study, and it's this is not good. But I will answer your question, because everybody knows the answer to your question, as Jesse is the father of David, David. the king, right? Mm -hmm. From the tribe of Judah. Okay? And why is he a stump? Now, we got to get into this question about who's Isaiah. Isaiah, of course, is writing during the time we talked about last week, during a time of crisis post schism that is after the northern 10 times broke from the south right mm -hmm. and i know we've gone back a lot we're not going to do it right now but i'm just going to give you your passage to look at so that you can go back and read it yourself i'm going to go back to the book of kings and give you your i'm just look at what i'm doing i'm going back no it's not in second kings it's in first kings right here first kings chapter 12 and 13 you have to read them together in order to get the whole of this business 12 no i'm sorry 11 and 12 not 12 and 13 11 and 12 in which day uh solomon solomon's son 
who is supposed to reign in his stead. So you have David, the king. You have Solomon, the temple builder, king, mm -hmm. right? And then immediately the crisis. You can't think, you you know, when we're thinking biblical terms, you got to know your people and your, this is why our upcoming series here at the Institute of Catholic Culture on swords and serpents is important um, that because getting all these things in order and knowing where the prophets fit in helps you understand. You can easily say, oh yeah, Isaiah is living during a certain time. So look, I didn't really go up. Why does he say stump? I didn't really go look that up in the fathers of the church and the commentaries, but I can apply to Isaiah a vision of what's going on. Yeah. Jesse's a stump during the time of Isaiah because, because Judah has been cut off from the rest of the tribes, like the northern ten tribes, all broke from him, right? And and in Isaiah's in Isaiah's vision during the time, yes, the king is still in place, but he's he's a he's a vassal to to Egypt and and to the, to the Assyrians, and then Egypt, and then off he's going to go and back to Babylon. So Isaiah's in the time not is he's just before the Babylonian exile. So from the prophetic standpoint, as he's telling the truth about what's going on currently and telling future events he sees the whole, the, the whole package right jesse okay. is certainly a stump first of all because he gets cut off when the northern tenderites revolt against solomon's son and that's right there in in, in first king chapter 11 with solomon's son basically decides to raise taxes on the people who are like i'm not paying the taxes right and they mm -hmm. revolt right and so very applicable to our own day politically in the united states we um and uh so they overtax the people and there's and besides solomon is enslaved his brothers is the tribe of joseph and all this bad stuff going on and we saw last week how they were even doing child sacrifice and all that stuff okay it's a horrible situation and the king has been he's no longer in like in a, his power position so initially he's a stump because Assyria has come down and he's become a vassal. He's a stump because he's lost the 10 tribes. He's a stump because Zedekiah's sons are going to get going to get their heads cut off and then you know, poke his eyes out. And the last thing he sees is the death of his sons and the end of the Davidic apparent end of the Davidic line. OK, so it's as bad all around. That's why Jesse's a stump. Um, and now the prophetic words of Isaiah, right, that we read. Yeah. But anyways, that was your question, right? Was that your question? Yeah. Um, well, there's another part. It talks about the root of Jesse. So what is what's that about? Okay. Well, the root, the the whole the whole of the of the line of Jesse. Now this goes back to Judah, right? The whole root. This is why we do salvation history of the ICC swords and serpents. It's a root that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, which is why I love this passage. It's a root which goes back to God Himself. The taproot, which which receives the gift of divine life, and the sons of God, who then blossom in King David and 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 the whole Davidic line that comes to fruition in Christ. And so, listen, read this passage with me from a from a patristic standpoint from the Garden. And this is where this is where I think, unfortunately, we ten times or we tend to look forward in our in our in our prophetic reading to Jesus without the taproot rather than looking forward to Jesus without the taproot look forward to Jesus with the taproot in terms of restoration and then the scriptures can come alive 
on that day, a shoot shall sprout. Look, what's it look like? It's, it's, it, it, where is the shoot sprouting? In a garden. Yeah. Yeah. And the bud shall blossom. You see, the, the, the Isaiah's vision is a vision of restoration of the Garden of Eden, ultimately. Mm. And Jesus's work must be seen in those terms. Okay. Now we can talk about some of the, 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 the words he uses and so forth in relationship to this, which is usually where our commentators are going to go and which I know you're going to go about, about this business of the shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse. The word there in Hebrew, Natsar, is the same root word that is going to be applied to that town that Jesus is going to grow up in, Nazareth, Nazareth. right? Oh, which, yeah. which, in, uh, which Matthew, turn with me, very, keep your hand there wherever you're at so you don't lose your spot, but go with me to Matthew. This is where this Bible says is going to get a little bit of, a little bit of fun, it is Matthew chapter um, 3, Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, 223 and he went and dwelt in the city of nazareth this is after they returned from egypt right from when remember they had to flee because of herod and the killing mm -hmm. of the babies okay mm -hmm. and, and he dwelt in nazareth that's Nazar. the the root of that word is shoot so it's a shoot town right <laughs> that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled he shall be called a Nazarene and a Nazarene. There's many commentators that have made this point is that Jesus goes and lives in Nazareth, grows up in Nazareth because of this passage from Isaiah saying that a shoot shall come forth from Jesse, a new branch, and that's Jesus. Okay. Now you're like, okay, I kind of see that. I kind of get it. But what, where this thing gets interesting is this that there's a town called Nazareth. Why is there a town called Nazareth in Upper Galilee? Um, who are these people living there that Jesus goes and makes his home there? Um, or, or say Joseph goes there, right? Why would Joseph go to Nazareth? Yeah. Well, Joseph is of the tribe of Judah, right? Mm -hmm. From which the shoot is going to come forth. He goes, he's got to like, Look on, you know, let's look on uh, Redfin and see where we can score a cheap home. No, no, <laughs> you, you don't go just live among peoples. You go live among your people. Well, who was living in Nazareth at the time of Joseph, but his family. And why is his family living in Nazareth? Because his family are the shoot people. You see this? Yeah. Why, why are they living up there? Okay. Well, I got to pull out trusty old Pixner. Yeah. Yes. Bargel Pixner with Jesus through Galilee, according to the fifth gospel. This, my friends, is a little treasure trove of goodies. And I'm going to share with you some of it. Okay. So this is what he says. I'm just going to scan a couple of my highlights in here rather than read you the whole thing. Okay. He says, many conjectures have been made as to which prophetic word Matthew was referring. The Greek fathers, St. Jerome, who had an excellent knowledge of Hebrew, suggests a very plausible solution. He mentions in his commentary to, to this text that many of the Jews who believed in Jesus had a recollection that this word referred to the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, which is what we're looking at. The word shoot in Hebrew, netzer, refers to the 
the the scion of the of the rootstock of Jesse, whose son was King David. The title Nazarene, Nazarene, oh, okay, he's, he's got the Hebrew word, thus alludes not so much to Jesus's town of origin, but rather denotes his royal descent. And then he goes on to talk about Nazareth as a town established during the post-Babylonian exile time. I'm not going to read you the whole thing. If you want to go get a copy of this book, I do recommend it for you. Um, but But at the end of the day, what he says is most likely... This was a group of people coming out of Babylon, of the tribe of Judah. They were Jews, okay? And they repopulated the Holy Land. And for whatever reason, they established themselves there uh, in what becomes known as Nazareth. But it becomes known as Nazareth, not because in the ancient pre-Babylonian world it was called Nazareth, but because the people there are shoot people. See what I'm saying? And so Jesus is living among the people that are called those who believe that the shoot will come forth from them. Wow. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah, And he shall be called, yeah, he he shall be called a Nazarene. So on that day, a shoot, a Nazar shall sprout from the stump of Jesse, from what has happened to Jesse. Okay. He's got cut off. A bud shall blossom forth. And, and here's what's, what's beautiful. Over, look at how Isaiah does this. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and fear. Well, the spirit the, the uh, uh, comes in, in, in Hebrew terms by anointing, right? And this is what happens to the king when he's anointed to become king. So this what what is what Isaiah is saying here is that this sprout which is going to come forth, the spirit is going to rest on him, which means he's going to be given dominion. He's going to be the king. He's going to be the Messiah, the anointed one. So this passage in Isaiah eleven is a prophecy of the restoration of Jesse, the restoration of David, the restoration of Solomon, the restoration of Rehoboam, the restoration of the whole line of David. That there's going to be one who's going to come forth, who's going to restore. All of this garbage has taken place. It's not going to end like this. There's hope. And that's what Isaiah is prophesying, prophesying about. And then goes on to uh, to describe this. I have to go back to the, I'm looking at this, the USCCB print off like I told you not to do. I got to go back to the passage itself. I can give you the verse. It's so, this is beautiful. So the spirit, the spirit, the spirit, the spirit's going to rest on him. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Now, you got to read this now in light of 1 Kings chapter 11 and 12 and the following chapters and the disaster, which are the sons of Solomon, the son of Solomon and the grandson and the great grandson, like that, total disaster. And they rule not in this way. Okay. So if you know that, you know how powerful this passage is. See, this king is going to fear the Lord. Can you imagine? Doesn't he fear God? I mean, he's setting up temples to Baal and said, doesn't he, you imagine the people in Jerusalem, like the the, the pious people are, doesn't the king fear God? Look at how he's living. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, but decide on what his ears, or, or, or decide on what his ears hear. See, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, listened 
to his buddies, right? right? And so, right? And then remember, Saul was considered handsome, remember? But then he goes, hides under the bag. And he just looked at this last week. And then, and then remember when David's chosen, Samuel says, the Lord chooses not by what man sees, but what is in, within his heart. And so this, this, the way this is written is very much in light of the situation of the kings. Okay. Not by appearance shall he judge. Not by hearsay shall he decide, Rehoboam. But he shall judge the poor with justice. Do you see Solomon who enslaved your brother? Do you see those who are being held in slavery at the time of these kings in which Isaiah is writing? who refuse to honor the Jubilee year and give re release to the poor. Okay. Yeah. With justice and justice is give what is due to the person, right? What is due to the person is that they're free to worship God and not be enslaved and decide, do you see how any, we read this passage so oftentimes in light of Christ and Christmas and Christmas trees and mm -hmm. reindeer and Santa Claus. And instead you have to read it in light of the Kings and the crisis going on in the Holy land. Then you can apply it to what's going on today, which is going, which when, as we read the gospel passage, isn't going to be about Christmas trees. Yeah. It's going to be what about repentance. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then I, I know we're going long, I, I, but it's like every verse, something pops out here. Oh, right. No, right. He shall strike the ruthless with the rod of his mouth. Well, who's being ruthless is Solomon enslaving his brother, Joseph. You got to, we should have gone back and just read it, right? You got to go back and read first Kings chapter 11 and 12. That's the key to this entire, this entire passage. Okay. Justice shall be their band around his waist and faithfulness, a belt upon his hips. Okay. We're going to see somebody dressed up in. Okay, also with an outfit on here in the gospel passage. Then the wolf shall be the guest of the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. And now Isaiah begins to speak in in kind of a, a restoration Garden of Eden. I was going to say, talk about a paradise here, man. Right. All these comparisons about those who are who are against each other, right? And of course, he's not just talking about lions and oxes. He's talking about God's people. He's talking about the king's relationship with his people. He's talking about the, pe the people being held in slavery and, and, and so forth going on and the poor suffering. Yeah. And there shall be no harm or ruin on all my holy mountain, which is Jerusalem, of course. Now, notice how Jerusalem is down to described. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord and the waters cover the sea as the waters cover the sea. Do you see how Jerusalem is that microcosm we've been talking about? Mm -hmm. We talk about Jerusalem and all of a sudden we're talking about the universe. Okay. Yeah. On that day, the root of Jesse set up as a signal for the nation. So Jesse is now going to become a signal, a light in the ancient world. A signal wasn't, uh, you know, the stoplight. It was the fire light lit up on the mountain. Jerusalem's mm -hmm. like a fire. You know, you've seen in, uh, what is it? What's the um, uh, Tolkien's thing? Uh, Lord of the Rings. Lord yeah, of the yeah. Rings, right? The fire being set on the top of the mountain to communicate, right? To the things. So this is the way with Jerusalem being lit on fire. It's going to be a, a massive fire on the mountain of God so that all the nations are going to be drawn toward it. Okay. Um, which brings you, you are a light to the nation. See, Jesus, when Jesus is speaking the gospel, you gotta, you gotta let your imagination just, just, see like it, it's not you know we're, we're normally thinking of like my fluorescent light in my office right this is not what jesus is talking about he's using biblical terms of the, the whole of jerusalem he lit on fire and the gentiles shall seek it out 
All of the peoples are going to be gathered together his, uh, for his dwelling shall be glorious. I was just thinking in this passage about now we can start to apply it to what's coming, and that is the church. The church is truly Catholic. Yeah, all the Gentiles, all the nations have been gathered back together because all of these people are not foreigners. They're God's people. They're they're lost. They're not foreigners. Um, um, they're they're they're, uh, they're they're well, they're lost people. They're they're part of the family that that are at a distance, but now they're going to come back, and the family's going to be restored. That's what Jesus is going to going to bring about. Which is what we hear in the responsorial psalm. The the response is justice shall flourish in his time and fullness of peace forever. That's exactly what was just described here in Isaiah. Annie, let me share with you St. Ambrose uh, insight. It's very beautiful as we begin to apply this now to our New Testament reading our gospel passage. Scripture also expresses the sun's incarnation beautifully. From a bud you have gone up. For like a plant of the earth, he was to be conceived in the womb of a virgin. And like a fragrant flower sent forth from the maternal blossom in the splendor of the dawn, he was to go up for the redemption of the whole world. As Isaiah says, there will come forth a rod out of the root of Jesse. A flower will blossom from his root. The root is the family of the Jews, the tribe of Judah. The rod is Mary. The flower is her Christ. It is right, therefore, that the rod, the, or the, the, the sprout, right, which is of royal lineage from the house of David, whose flower is, is Christ, who vanquished the foul odor of worldly filth and poured forth the fragrance of eternal life. Much to meditate on there on the incarnation of Christ, but now in this in this psalm passage, now we begin to apply this not only to Jesus, but through extension to us also to realize that, that shoot that comes forth from Jesse, the brothers and sisters, you've been grafted into. The restoration of the kingship of Christ, the kingdom of God, is not something that is for Jesus and Jesus alone. You have been christened. You have been, the, the spirit of God has come upon you. Go back to your passage. Listen to this. The spirit of the Lord is resting upon you. The spirit of wisdom shall rest upon you. The spirit of, of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord has been given to you. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Your delight is in your relationship with God. Understand of who he is and who you are in relationship with him. You shall not judge as the eye sees. Or decide what by the by what's spoken in your ears, but with righteousness you shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Okay, it, how beautiful it is that Christmas that what we are preparing for is the incarnation of God in us, the body of Christ. Listen to this the Psalm passage: Justice shall flourish in His time and fullness of peace forever. O God, with your judgment endow the King, and with your justice the King's Son. He shall govern your people with justice and your afflicted ones with judgment. Justice shall flower in His days in profound peace, till the moon be no more. 
May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. He shall rescue the poor when he cries out and the afflicted when he has no one to help him. He shall have pity on the lowly and the poor and the lives of the poor he shall save. May his name be blessed forever. As long as the sun, his name shall remain. In him shall all the tribes of the earth be blessed. All the nations shall proclaim his happiness. St. John Chrysostom, and then we can move on. Let us say again, blessed be God who alone does wonderful things, who does all things and transforms them. Before yesterday, you were captives, but now you are you are free and citizens of the church. Lately, you lived the shame of your sins, but now you live in freedom and justice. You are not only free, but also holy, not only holy, but also just, not only just, but also children, not only children, but also heirs, not only heirs, but also brothers in Christ, not only brothers in Christ, but also joint heirs, not only joint heirs, but also members, not only members, but also the temple, not only the temple, but also the instruments of the spirit the all is all of this jesus is coming to save you and to restore you to him this is the beauty of our preparation now not to be preparing for the birth of jesus in nazareth 2000 years ago but to realize that that reality and that truth is making being made known today in our lives to get ourselves ready for this great greatest of gifts. Matthew chapter three, right, Annie? Yeah, speaking of being ready. <laughs> yeah. Matthew chapter three, uh, verses one through 12. Let me know when you're ready. Matthew chapter three. That's in the New Testament, right, Annie? Um, yeah, I believe so. All right, let's go. Matthew chapter three, <laughs> verse one. John the Baptist appeared, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was of him that the prophet Isaiah had spoken when he said, A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. At that time, Jerusalem, all Judea, and the whole region around the Jordan were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now, the axe lies at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I am baptizing you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Mm. Have a nice day. <laughs> exactly. Merry, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> I hope you're uh, you bought your Christmas lights, you put them on for your house, <laughs> you're ready to go. 
This is like a snow globe image, you know? Yeah. Totally. Totally. Um, okay, let's start off with um, some context here. First of all, um, you know, when is this taking place in the gospel? And also, where is this happening? Um, okay, well, we're at the beginning of the gospel. I mean, it's the baptism. It's 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 drawn down the Jordan River. It's just, just it's right here in chapter uh, three of, of the gospel of Matthew and the beginning of Jesus's ministry. So we just heard that in the gospel of Matthew, of course, we begin with the genealogy. We hear the story of, of the flight into Egypt. And then at the end of chapter two, what I was, we were just looking at, he shall be called Nazarene, is their return from Egypt. And then suddenly John's baptizing the Jordan River and here comes Jesus. So, so between chapter two, verse 23 and chapter three, verse one, which there is nothing in between except a chapter break, which is not original to the text. There's about 30 years. That's so interesting. It's so interesting to think of that by yeah. like realizing that there were no originally no like chapter breaks, no verse, right. you know, breaks or anything like that. It's just like he shall be called a Nazarene. In That's those right. days came John the Baptist. Right, exactly. And so he's down there during this time and he's he's baptizing people. Where is John baptizing? Well, we know where he was baptizing because we know where Jesus was baptized. Because the tradition tells us this, and to all our brothers and sisters that are of the Protestant background, this is why we love tradition in the Catholic Church, because it actually helps us not take passages out of context, but rather put them in their context. Yes, we know where Jesus was baptized, because the people of God knew that it was a significant event, remembered where John baptized, and actually marked the spot. And built churches there. And you can go there today and see the place where Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, which is the same location where Israel crossed the Jordan River at the time of Joshua. Well, how do we know that? Well, because the people of the Old Testament also thought it was an important event and marked the spot <laughs> by building synagogues and churches. You know what I mean? Okay. Imagine they knew that. Yeah. This is the spot. Why? It's right across from Jericho. Jericho is an oasis in the midst of hell right the desert nothing's there um and uh and 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 there's palm trees and that means there's dates and there's food and things like that right there you can literally stand on that spot and see jericho right there it's that close like today you get in a tour bus right you go to the jordan to the place where jesus you get back in your tour bus and everybody starts talking and now your guy goes and now we're at jericho and you oh that was fast well it's because you shouldn't have gotten in the tour bus just just well you have to because today there's landmines (laughs) the bus has to go on the road you can't just go walk across the the, you know but it's right there it's at the end of the block if you will across the street from the jordan river there's jericho this is where they crossed the jordan to jericho this is where jesus was baptized it is a significant spot it has everything to do with salvation history and john's there doing this action because this is where israel came across this is where they left behind them their old life of sin they're wandering the desert finally rid themselves of pharaoh and the amorites and the hittites and all that's who were attacking them in the desert and entered into the promised land after 40 years of wandering because of sin and now john's down there washing people through this same spot 
as a beginning of a restoration of the kingdom, which the people were desiring and hungry for. So the location, the geography helps us tremendously in understanding the significance of what John's doing, as well as other passages we're going to have to look at. Okay, so let's talk about the the figure of John the Baptist, um, you know, in terms of his place in salvation history. But I'm also kind of curious, like, why is Matthew telling us that about what he was wearing and eating? Okay, sure. Well, the first of all, Matthew quotes to us Isaiah chapter 40. So we were looking at Isaiah chapter 11. Mm -hmm. Isaiah chapter 40 is that hinge point in the prophet where everything starts to look good again. And so um, and so while the whole destruction, the prophecy of destruction takes place all in Isaiah, now in chapter 40 of Isaiah, he says, look, the restoration is coming that I've been talking about in the past, chapter 11 and things like that, it's coming, yeah? And that's and this these are the words of Isaiah, right? A voice of one crying in the words, prepare the way the Lord makes straight his, his ways. And then John, here's your question, John wore clothing made of camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist. Why does the, why does the gospel writer, why does Matthew mention this? Because, um, two well, two things. The gospel writer mentions it for a reason and John the Baptist does it for a reason. Hmm important right those are two different things so the first most important thing is why is john dressed up like this and then matthew says well it's significant right why because if we go back to second kings chapter one you'll notice that second kings second kings chapter one verse eight they answered it he wore a garment of, of hair cloth with a girdle of leather around his loins. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Now, this is the story, of course, of Ahab and Jezebel and the story of the prophet Elijah, who is being ends up being hunted by Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel hate Elijah. They hate the prophet because Ahab and Jezebel are, are, are corrupt. Yeah. And against God. And they've killed all the prophets of God. And, and Elijah's the one, the only one left. And they're trying, they're trying to kill him too. Mm-hmm. And so the guys in, in Ahab's court go out and they meet Elijah and they come back and they say, when we, we, we met this guy who said, you know, blah, blah, blah. He says, what do you look like? And he says, well, he's dressed up like this. Ah, that's Elijah. Right. And so they know him because he's wearing an he's he's dressed up in a particular way. Well, uh, here's the thing is John the Baptist plays dress up. John the Baptist goes and gets himself dressed up like Elijah so that the people of God can understand what he's doing. Well, you might say to yourself, why Elijah? Well, there's a number of reasons, a number of reasons we have to get into it. Number one is what Elijah was doing, right? Elijah was speaking the truth in a time in which the people of God were very lost in sin yeah and he's a he called the people to repentance hello john the baptist yeah Uh, and elijah ends up at the end of his earthly life being taken up in a fiery chariot into heaven so as to escape from this sinful people right which is why it was believed that elijah would return because elijah never died Okay, my second comment to my Protestant brothers and sisters that are participating in our Bible study, if you have a problem with the assumption of the mother of God into heaven, you don't have a problem with the Catholic Church, you have a problem with the Bible. Because Mary was not the first person assumed into heaven. No, 
Elijah was assumed into heaven, as was Enoch in the book of Genesis. Yes. Uh, So assumption into heaven is is, is God's plan for his saints. He, He doesn't want us to die. That was not his original plan. And we begin to see the restoration of God's original plan in the great men and women that came in the Old Testament that enjoyed this beautiful gift of being taken up bodily into heaven. And so the Jews believed that Elijah would return at the coming of the Messiah when the garden was restored, when Mm -hmm. heaven and earth came back together again, when the kingdom of God was made present on earth, then those that that had been taken up bodily would come back. And this is why the prophet Malachi, well, you can turn your Bibles to Malachi. It's just before Maccabees in my Bible anyways. If it's not, you can find it on your own. In chapter four, verse five, or in your Bible, it might be chapter three, verse something else. I Sometimes Malachi is numbered differently. It's the last paragraph of Malachi, okay? Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and smite the land with a curse, right? Now, hold your hand there. So the, so the Jews hear from the prophet Malachi, when the Messiah is coming, Elijah is going to come first. So as, as the Jews are preparing, they're thinking them, any day now it's got to come, the Messiah is going to come. They're looking around saying, is Elijah around? And lo and behold, John the Baptist goes down to the Jordan River to the very place where not only Joshua crossed the Jordan River and where Jesus would be baptized, but the same location that Elijah was taken into heaven. The exact location that Elijah was taken into heaven is the no. spot where John was baptizing Jesus. Where John really? was baptizing. Yes. Okay. Wow. So here you are. Luke chapter 1, verse 14. Take a look with me. Luke chapter 1. Do I still need to stay in Malachi? Well, I, why not? We're going okay. back and forth a lot today. Verse okay. 14. This is about John the Baptist, okay? Mm-hmm. And you will have joy and gladness, and will and and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he shall drink no strong, no strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah. Okay, do you hear that language about turning fathers to sons of their fathers and so forth? From Malachi comes out here in Luke, oh, and. Yeah. He's going, it says he's going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now you say to my, yourself, because you know the Bible, then the gospel of John, as I flip over there very quickly, John chapter one, go with me very fast because otherwise we're not going to have time to get everything done in this Bible study. John chapter one. This is why at the Institute of Catholic Culture, we have a long Sunday gospel reflection rather than the, what's become very popular. And I know all of you are participating in them is the three minute or 32nd, get yourselves ready for Sunday Mass about the gospel message. Look, I know there's a lot of really good commentators out there doing it, and Father Hezekiah is not the greatest Bible scholar in the world, but we got to get ourselves ready, and you can't get yourselves ready like by going to Jack in the Box, okay? You got to sink your teeth into this stuff, till the soil up, so that when the when your pastor's preaching, he can actually plant the seeds in the fresh soil. So we spend some time. Okay. John chapter one, verse 19. 
And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. I love that passage. Anybody say, who are you? I mean, you, people have said, who are you to you before, right? Who are you, Annie? Who are you? Nice well, to meet I you. What's your name? Not right, right. And you never said, I'm not, oh, I'm not the Messiah. Because <laughs> he knew why they were asking, right? He knows why they're asking. And then he, they, and they asked him, well, are you Elijah? Right? Why are they asking that question? Because of Malachi. Because of the assumption, because he was taken up into heaven, the expectation of the Jews that he would return before the coming of the Messiah. So he's not the Messiah. Is it possible he's the is he Elijah? They ask him, is he Elijah? Because he's dressed up like Elijah. What's the now? Now you say to me, and he says, I'm not. I'm going to get to yeah. that in a second. The next question is, are you the prophet? Well, who's the prophet of the Jews? It's Moses. Moses is, I know there are a lot of prophets, but who's the prophet? It's Moses. Yeah. Okay, because Moses led the people out during the time of the Exodus. And so they see what, what Elijah, what, what, sorry, what John the Baptist is doing very much in terms of the, of the, the Old Testament, very much in terms of what God had done in the past, he's going to now do again, which is what the prophet said it was going to happen. That in the come, when the Messiah comes, there's going to be a new Exodus and a new, new and a new, uh, uh, you know, this is what. Colonel Jean Danielou says in one of my favorite books, the Bible and the liturgy at the time of the captivity, it's the Babylonian captivity. The prophets announced to the people of Israel that in the future, God would perform for their, for their benefit deeds analogous to, and even greater than those he'd performed in the past. So there would be a new deluge, a new flood in which the sinful world would be annihilated. And a few men, a remnant would be preserved. There would be a new Exodus in which by his power, God would set mankind free from the bondage of idols. There would be a new paradise. Okay, so it's all like that. This is what, how the prophets announced the coming of the Messiah. And so here we are at the edge of the Jordan River with Jericho right there. The location with all of these things taking place. And they say, are you the, are you the Messiah? Because they're expecting uh, events analogous to what had happened before. They're going to go in and, and the kingdom's going to be restored. Paradise is going to be restored. The promised land is going to be restored. And to do that, they must be washed through the waters of the flood, the waters of the Red Sea, the waters of the Jordan River with Joshua. Yeah, there's going to be all of this restoration that takes place. And of course, John says, I'm not Elijah. Aha, uh -huh. that's really disappointing then why are you dressed up like Elisha? Okay. And why does the gospel writer actually describe you as dressed up like Elisha? You have to understand we got a wrinkle here. And that wrinkle has to be supported by Jesus's own words in the gospel of Matthew. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. 11, 11. Are you there? I truly, am. Matthew eleven eleven. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen none, no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet he is the least in the kingdom of heaven. Is greater than he was least in the kingdom of heaven, is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and men of violence take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So Jesus, Jesus says, 
that Elijah you expected to come, that Malachi said was come, that's John the Baptist. So why is John the Baptist saying he's not Elijah? The simple answer is, is found back in John. So turn back with me to the gospel of John. Sorry to be flipping you back and forth in your Bible so much. You but know, they really need to like come up with uh, like the gospels where they like line up the passages so that you can like, you don't have to do all this flipping. Right. Anyway, sorry, John. John, <laughs> you're such a lazy American. Andy. I know, I know. John, chapter one, well, the answer to this is going to be given to us at the end of this passage. Verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Okay. Why is that important? Because there's a debate going on. We've talked about this before. The Pharisees are in constant war with the Sadducees over what issue? The resurrection. That's right. Okay. So most likely what's going on is that the look, the Pharisees we know refused the baptism of John. Luke chapter seven. Verse 11, I do believe. Chapter 7, verse 11. Okay, don't go there. They refuse the baptism of John. The Pharisees are going and asking who he is not because they desire to be baptized by him. They are sending representatives down there because they refuse to be baptized by him. Because they refuse to repent of their sins. They want to know... Because just like in the gospel, we've been going over with, with Jesus and his, and his arguments with them, yeah, that they want to use him like they wanted to use Jesus mm. in their fight with the Sadducees. If John says, I'm Elijah, then John's on their side. Do you see? Yeah. And, and he refuses to be their pawn in their chess game. So he refuses to accept what they want to try to make him out to be because is John the Baptist Elijah, Annie? Yeah. No. Well, he comes in the okay. spirit of Elijah, right? He comes, he's, he is Elijah who's to be expected. He is the new Elijah. But he's he, John. But he's John. So sure. he's not okay. what the Pharisees want him to say in their argument with the Sadducees. Okay. And so he refused to be a pawn, but let's accept Jesus's words. Okay. That he is the one who is to be expected. Right. And by the way, Elijah does return in the flesh. Does he not on Mount Tabor? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, along with Moses. So anyways, that's another Bible study, but here for the sake of our Bible study, um, what, your, your, your simple answer was, why is he dressed up like this? He's dressed up like this because he's playing dress up and he's telling the people, who he is and they're seeing him for who he is which is why they're going down and being baptized and repenting of their sins because they know that the babylon the 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 the, the destruction of jerusalem is coming and they want to be the remnants gonna be saved this time because all of this is going on in the context of what happened 700 years ago the babylonian exile and they know when the king comes they want to be on his team right and they want to escape from the disaster because they know the prophets, the prophets. They know what Elijah said. They know what Isaiah said, and they don't want to be part of it anymore. They don't want to be part of what's going on with the Pharisees and the Sadducees anymore. They don't want to be part of what's going on with the lawyers and the rulers who are, who are becoming buddy-buddy with the Romans. They don't want to be part of it anymore. They want to be on the side of the Messiah when he comes and the restoration of the kingdom of God. And they get themselves down there to the Jordan River. They leave Jerusalem. They leave the city. They leave all the luxury 
imagery. They leave all that stuff and they make what is about a, a day's journey out in the middle of God forsaken nowhere because they want to be part of the restoration of paradise. And they want to be brought through that Jordan River just like Israel was brought through it by Joshua. Now, what's, Jesus, what's Joshua's name? Joshua is the Hebrew name for the Greek, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay, Joshua led Israel right to that spot. Jesus is going to lead Israel right through that spot. Okay, so we keep going then through this biblical passage, and you probably have other questions about it. Well, just one more, um, because once again, we talked about this last week, like this isn't shepherds and angels and baby Jesus readings that we're getting here. This is like repent, be baptized, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. what, Why? so I guess my, my question here is like, what is the link between I mean, this sounds so elementary and and dumb, but the the link between repentance and baptism and Advent. Well, um, let me give you a couple of quotations from some of the church fathers, and then I'll come answer your question in my own words. St. Basil Great teaches the image of death is fulfilled in the water, Hmm. and the spirit gives us the pledge of life. The water receives our body as a tomb. And so becomes the image of death, right? Like the flood. Well, the spirit or the Red Sea, right? Pharaoh being being, uh, drowned in the Red Sea. Well, the spirit pours the life-giving power, renewing souls which were dead in sin, the life they first possessed. Origen says, Elijah was made more fit to be taken into heaven after having been baptized in the Jordan. Elijah was baptized in the Jordan. Oh, put your, put your biblical seatbelt on for that one. He was baptized in the Jordan river. So as John gets, gets down there and starts doing this thing, these people are preparing themselves. Think about it for the coming of the spirit of God, which is going to take them in, in, in not only into, into the kingdom of David in Jerusalem, but into heaven itself. St. Athanasius says, repentance does not recall men from what is according to their nature. All that it does is make them cease from sinning. Okay. And then finally, the last quotation, St. Ephraim the Syrian. John, now the new Elijah, whitened the stains of sin with ordinary water, that tomb of the Jordan, so that bodies might be rendered suitable for the robe of the spirit that is given through the Lord. Okay. Mm. Now, going back to what you're asking, Annie, with all of that and all you talk about, all the Elijah and the baptism and Joshua and so forth. Why is why now in the in the liturgical year? Because the nativity of Christ um, uh, is, 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 as I keep saying, is more than an event that happened 2,000 years ago. It's the beginning of what is going to happen for us. The nativity and our baptism are one reality in which we are born of the virginal womb of the church, of which Mary is the preparation and image, yeah, of the baptismal font, which is both a tomb and a womb. We've said this before, but we remember that the feast of the nativity of Christ and the, and the feast of the, of the baptism of the Lord originally were one feast. 
right. And we begin now in this time of preparation. This is the final thing I, I have to say. And I think that this, that, that the, uh, the church placing it here for us is so beautiful. And this, the church says, this is a time of repentance. This is a Lent. And I keep saying it, but nobody's listening to me. <laughs> it's, I say it's my own parishioners. I'm like, guys, this is a time of fasting. This isn't a time to throw your parties. This is a time to get yourselves ready. Now, it doesn't mean that I had to go run around all hungry and beating myself over the back. No, go out and get your Christmas tree. Fine. Go out and get your Christmas lights. Fine. But you know what? There's certain things we can do to remember that we're doing all these things in preparation for and not so that I can eat my, you know, marshmallow cookies on December 20th when I invite all my friends over. No, go get your Christmas tree, but don't plug in your lights until Christmas Day. I don't know. You know, put up your Christmas lights, but don't turn them on yet. Get yourselves ready for what is about to happen. And that is the coming of the Holy Spirit, the gift of God's dwelling among men, to open our hearts and make our hearts ready for, for to become Bethlehem. So that what happened on the day of your baptism can be restored in your life now so that the dwelling of God can once again be with men, Emmanuel, God with us, not in the temple in Jerusalem or in the crib in Bethlehem, but here now in me that my life can once again be restored, that I might truly be a Christian with the spirit of God descending upon me so that I may be given wisdom and the fear of the Lord, as Isaiah says, so that I can go and treat and act toward those around me as God wanted Solomon and Rehoboam and, and all these things to do. Because what they were given in the kingship was meant not only for them, but a restoration of all of God's people, that Jerusalem might be lit on fire again. That we might become Jerusalem again. Not built out of stone, but built out of, uh, out of living stones. You are the temple of God. This is what Jesus has come to give us. This is why you are baptized into him. Christmas is, is, he, is about, it's not a, Jesus wasn't born the Virgin Mary for Jesus's sake. <laughs> he was born the Virgin Mary for our sake. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. Let's move on to the epistle. Let's do it. Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 9. Here we Here go. We Brothers and sisters, whatever was written previously was written for our instruction, that by endurance, and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to think in harmony with one another, in keeping with Christ Jesus, that with one accord, you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, then, as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. For I say, that Christ became a minister of the circumcised to show God's truthfulness, to confirm the promises to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. Here we are. I don't, think, I don't have to add much 
I'm not going to add much to what um, he is saying, but to focus on that word endurance. We are running a race and now is not the time for the, for the hot chocolate. Now is the time for, for, for endurance. This is what the church places before us so that we can live now what we want to live for all eternity. St. John Chrysostom says, these things were written so that you, that we might not fall away. That we might, that, that, for we have many battles to fight both inward and outward, but being comforted by the spirit, by the scriptures, we can exhibit patience so that by living in patience, we might dwell in hope for these things produce one another. Hope brings forth patience and patience brings forth hope. Let us be a people filled with hope. My brothers and sisters, as we see, look, I'll just end, end with this. Is we we've been talking about the Babylonian exile, about the problems going on in the king in the kingdom of God, the difficulties that the Jews faced at the time of Jesus, the challenges we face here in our in our life. And the question is, are we willing to become in our life what God is calling us to be a light to the nations? This is the mission of the Institute of Catholic Culture, that we might reach out beyond the borders of our church. You know, I I, I know I, I talk a lot about the, um, uh, well, maybe I don't actually talk that much about it, but during this season, we tend to, right, about we need to raise some funds. Yeah, we do. But, you know, when we sell Jesus, we tend to sell him to people that already have him. Yeah. When we're charging for things in the church, you know, uh, selling whatever we're selling, we're selling to the persons going to mass, right? We're selling to the rosary prayers, the person, the Gentile out there, the godless, the heathen, the 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 poor uh, women who are suffering from abortions, the the people enslaved to pornography, the. They're not going to pay $5 to watch your Bible study. Okay? Uh, and we, we, we need to reach out, be a fire. We need to set on fire for the Lord. So we might give freely of what we've received. To be exactly what God has called us to be. When we study together, we work together, we reach out to others and share the gifts we've received, then we begin to live again the way God has asked us to live. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.